Hey, dude, what's going on? I'm good. I, well, I mean, as good as one can be in situations like these. Uh, ready when you are. All right. Uh, what's the rule on profanity? It's uh, acceptable, right? Man, go fucking balls deep. <laughs> All right, dude. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Let me take a sip of coffee. Hold on. Word. Okay. Hello, world. Welcome back to the Flores and Friends podcast. I'm going to try and soldier on, even though I'm kind of depressed right now. But anyway, I'm joined by one of my oldest friends. We've been good friends since high school. You know, a lot of people I've known over the years have come and gone, but me and my guest today, we really made a point for almost a decade now of just keeping in touch and like never losing track of each other and always when we were in the same town just always finding a way to get in touch and hang out so today i'm joined by one of my best best friends joe lusick how you doing today man like you like you i'm smarting a little bit from the events of earlier today but uh i'm gonna i'm gonna soldier on i'm gonna soldier on i'm doing okay we can do this together okay (laughs) yeah so I don't know about you, but I have a moratorium on discussing a Saints loss. I can't do it at least until <laughs> Wednesday, like seventy-two hours after. I can't. I just I get. I'm with you. I get angry. I'm with you. How long does it take you to like, like deal with it? So I think we were we were talking about this the other day. I have like a process. Like it's almost like the five stages of grief. I like so the first thing I do is I'm like I'm super angry. I start texting people, profanity-laced tirades. Just like punching walls if I'm in a place where it's appropriate to do that. Then I get to the like really sad stage where I like strongly consider burning all of my possessions and moving to a different country. And then I, then I move on to like rationalizing it, figuring out why the Saints lost, figuring out what we can do better next week. And then sometime, you know, maybe 48 hours later, I'm, I'm, I'm on to acceptance and, uh, you know, realizing there's nothing I can do, I guess. It's already been done. Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm, I'm still in the angry text message phase. I haven't gotten past that yet. Just to make two things clear, I live currently in Austin, Texas. You have been living in D.C. How long have you been living in D.C. for? Uh, three years, almost exactly three years. And I won't – you don't have to say what you do, but you, you basically, you know, you work in politics. Is that ambiguous enough? Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we can we can say I work for a, a member of Congress, and we can we can leave it at that. Uh, but but yeah, I, I work in politics, and uh, and that is what I do. The other thing I also associate with you is you are arguably the biggest Yankees fan I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How uh, how they do this season? I haven't been following. You know what, man. I'm sorry. I, uh, I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm sorry. You 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 ambushed me here. You didn't say we were going to talk about the Yankees, man. <laughs> Listen, here's here's my thing about the Yankees. You know, we didn't. I expected us to be a disaster this year. We've got a lot of young talent. So, uh, you know, yes, the Red Sox are going to win the division this year. Go Sox! They're the I, best I, 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 I don't team think they're going to the win the World Series because I think the Cubs are unstoppable, and that's actually kind of cool. Like, I'm not, I'm not a Cubs fan, but it's cool to see the Cubs do this well. Um, and you know what? In like three or four years, the Yankees are going to be right there again because we've got a lot of really good 22 and 23 year olds. So I'm, I'm optimistic for 2019 for the Yankees. You mentioned the Cubs. I'm convinced that this is an elaborate, elaborate heartbreak that they're developing. Like they're just like, how high can we soar until we crush right. our fans' hearts again? I mean, I, I got a lot of a lot of family from Chicago, a lot of Cubs fan family, and I just if they don't win it this year, it's just going to be devastating because they they are clearly the best team in baseball their rotation is ridiculous that you know they absolutely should win the world series but obviously anyone who follows baseball knows that the cubs seem to always find a way to fuck it up so we'll see what's going to happen it's going to be interesting i'm I'm definitely assuming the yankees don't pull off a miracle and make the playoffs i'm definitely rooting for the cubs Uh, my mom who has listened to this podcast she she was a cubs fan as a kid so i really want them to win for her, like, I know right, right. She, she doesn't follow the Cubs. She really doesn't. But I know in the back of her heart, the child in her would still love to see the Cubs, the Cubbies win the World Series. I think that would, I think that would make her happy for like a very substantial amount of time. Yeah. And I think just as a sports fan, I think it would be really cool for that to happen right after the Cavs won the NBA championship, you know, yeah. and kind of have those two, the two like last remaining big sports curses. Uh, broken in the same year would be kind of, kind of cool. Man, fuck the Cavs. All right, fuck that team. <laughs> yeah, no, I know you're not there. Yeah. Okay, that was. I mean, you know, 
I'm, I'm no Cavs fan. I'm, I'm not particularly LeBron fan either. But that that game seven was one of the greatest sports games I've seen ever. That was just yeah. That game was fantastic to watch. Just I'll, as a basketball I'll, fan, I'll admit that if I was completely objective, that was one of the greatest comebacks in sports history. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. And just like the last two minutes of that game yeah. were just awesome. Just awesome to watch. We also have a very friendly, although very passionate rivalry because. I am a huge Notre Dame fan, and you are a unfortunately a Michigan fan. I don't. I mean, <laughs> fuck Michigan. Indeed, indeed. But we've we, the the rivalry's been dead for a few years because Notre Dame and Michigan stopped playing each other. But it's coming back. It's coming back. I'm excited about that, man. I'm, I'm really. I was really kind of annoyed and pissed off that they let it die for a couple of years. Frankly, I was. I was. I was pretty upset about it. I'm, I'm glad it will just be a a two year hiatus or I guess three year hiatus. Yeah, I'm glad like that it'll wait. We'll be doing it again. Yeah, because I remember we. It was like a few years where, like, leading up to the game, the week we would like either text or Facebook post each other like Notre Dame or Michigan memes, where we'd basically just be like, "Fuck your team." Yeah, no, I, I definitely we we had. <laughs> I think if if uh, you go back in Facebook history, you'll find some friendly or maybe not so friendly jokes there. In fact, <laughs> anyone listening, don't don't do that. Don't go back and look at that. Um, <laughs> Um, um, I'm really excited about it. I mean, Michigan's, you know, Jim Harbaugh seems to have them on the right track. Last year, everyone was expecting to be a total throwaway year. Instead, we we almost we almost got to the Big Ten championship. If we hadn't had that absurd ending to that Michigan God. State game, I was unfortunately at that game. You were? Um, oh my God! I was I was visiting a friend in uh, in Ann Arbor. I actually went to that game, and that was su- absolutely brutal. So I would uh, not be surprised if you were never invited back. <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah. I watched that shit live. That was that shit was incredible. I still can't believe that shit. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where if you run that play ten thousand times, you know, Michigan wins that game nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine times. And they just dude, it was that one incredibly freak situation. Okay, you know? so we, like I said, we we met in high school. Let me let me let me give a little background. I think Franklin Ben Franklin High School. Is still mm-hmm. number one in the state of Louisiana. If last time I checked, right? Oh yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, it's well, be. it's public schools, obviously. Not that's not as much of a you know praise of Franklin as much as it is an indictment of the rest of Louisiana public schools. I but. totally agree, but I really have a hard time articulating the culture at Franklin. Like people don't believe me that I I call it this for the lack of a better term, like utopian high school experience. Like there, I mean, people had their problems, obviously. Like. I distinctly remember in our senior year, one of our classmates had to check in the rehab and another classmate was pregnant at graduation, very, yeah. very close to delivering. Yeah. Uh, it's so atypical, I feel like, to like most people's high school experience. Like everybody just felt like they got along. There wasn't like cliques, like there were group people hung out in their groups, but there wasn't like this hierarchy or caste system. Yeah, no, I, I really agree with that. It's 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 strange, you know. This this whole like kind of breakfast club vision of high school yeah that you know there were all these cliques there were i mean obviously there are groups teenagers are always gonna have groups but i you know you and i had our kind of same seven or eight friends that we hung out with but i also floated around like i hung out with the jocks sometimes and i hung out with the nerds sometimes and i hung out with the weird kids sometimes you know there was a, a it seemed to me like it was just a little bit more inclusive and open than yeah what you at least hear other people talk about high school yeah and also i think it's cool that i mean it's very rare and in, in, especially in new orleans and in the south that you had a school that was legitimately like i don't know maybe half white a quarter black and like a quarter asian right like that yeah. doesn't happen in many places yeah um, it just felt like it was very diverse it was very inclusive right. like you said and like okay there were people i can think of off the top of my head that we were in school with that i wouldn't have hung out with them a day in my life because i really sure. don't care for them but I never sure. felt like I wasn't allowed to talk to anybody or associate with anybody. Like I just kind of, it was just this like this like freedom. Like you, everybody just got mm-hmm. along, and like people don't believe me when I say that. I'm like, no, no honestly, I, we I we all kind of we all got along. There wasn't like the example I always point to is the fact that if there had been a fight at Franklin, that would have been so abnormal. Like that would right. never have happened. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. There, there was not. I don't know whether I don't know whether it's just that the kids that go there tend to be a little bit wealthier, or whether it's just kind of the culture that they 
kind of promote. I'm not sure why, but I, I do definitely agree. At least my perception was yeah. um, that it's just not, you know, there, there weren't the same, at least that I'm aware of, there weren't these kind of like bullying issues going on. And, yeah. You know, those kinds of things that you hear about a lot in other high schools. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're both from New Orleans. Um, you went to Tulane. That's another rivalry you have, the LSU Tulane great. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't call that a rivalry. Yeah, because our school whips your ass in I think football. That, I think that's a little bit nice to Tulane to call that a rivalry. I, mean, I, I honestly could not tell you three players on Tulane's football team right now. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't – I mean, sure, if they got good, I'm sure I'd become a bandwagon fan. But they just never had a sports culture. You know, I think I went to two games the entire time I was there. Yeah. It was just never part of the culture at Tulane to really be involved in the sports teams. I, I chalked that up to, like, LSU is obviously huge in Baton Rouge and the rest of the state. Because a lo- the rest of the state, for the most part, doesn't root for the Saints. Like, it's really a New Orleans thing. And so I think that uh, Tulane and UNO and all these other schools with football programs in the city, they'll never really, they'll never really elevate to this, like, dominant level. Cause obviously the Saints are king in, sure. in, in New Orleans. So. And, and I think honestly, part of it, um, I think the new stadium will kind of help kind of help Tulane establish a culture. So they have a, a new stadium. I think this is the third year now. Um, and I'm actually, I haven't been to it yet, but I'm, I'm going down for homecoming in October. I'll, I'll be there and get to go to a Tulane game. So that'll be cool. But, I, you know, before they were at the Superdome, yeah. and I, you know, I went to one Tulane game because it was against Ole Miss. And I was like, all right, Ole Miss is a top 10 team. I want to, you know, see them play since I get the chance. And the Superdome holds 73,000 people. And, you know, there were like 800 people at the game. Jeez. So it's kind of like, it's pathetic, you know, it's like, it's, it's this like incredibly demoralizing thing. I, I can't imagine being a football player and like playing inside a 73,000 person stadium with 800 people there. So it's just like, you know, it's, that's, I think that now that they have their own stadium that's on campus. So kids are actually going because when I was there, if you wanted to go, you had to get a shuttle all the way out to the Superdome from campus. You know, no one's going to do that. So they're filling up the stadium and, and they have their own place now. I think it, they're kind of trying to establish a sports culture at Tulane, which I think will will be helpful for them in the long run. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Because I really, LSU and Tulane haven't played a football game against each other in a good minute. So I'd love that. Right. I'd love that rivalry for us to spank the shit out of y'all again to come back. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, like, a lot of people don't remember that. Like, I think it was 1998, Tulane went 12-0. Won a bowl game. It wasn't, they didn't have the BCS yet. So, but they, but they won their bowl game against BYU. They went 12 and 0. Their head coach at the time was Tommy Bowden, Bobby Bowden's son. And their offensive coordinator at the time was Rich, Rich Rodriguez, who would later be what, you know, West Virginia's coach and then Michigan's coach. And now I think he's in Arizona. So they actually, you know, Tulane hasn't always sucked. Not that long ago. They were, they were like a, a really good program. It's kind of like, you know, the past 10 years, they haven't been there, but. Maybe they'll get back to those glory days, but I don't I don't see it happening anytime soon. Let's move on to something that's very prevalent. I've discussed the election several times over the pod because it really is like the main issue going on in our lives for the oh, yeah. most part. No doubt. Uh, just full disclosure, you are a Democrat. You regi- you are a registered Democrat, correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, as objectively as you can, like I, I know you're not irrationally democratic. <laughs> you, you, sure. you you can be objective. Just attempt in your broadest sense, explain it like if I was a five-year-old or a person coming to America, explain for the audience, how did we get here? That is the question I keep wondering. (laughs) How did we get here? I mean, don't go all the way back to 1776 or some shit, but I guess guess you could – I feel like this all started in the 80s kind of, and and it's finally come to head. Does that – is that fair? I think there are a couple places you could start. I mean, listen, I think that the, the rise of Trump is going to be something that will, I mean, I think this is something that will be debated by historians and political scientists and, you know, sociologists for years. And I think it's the, the strangest political event, um, certainly of, of you and our, you and my lifetime, probably, sure. uh, probably maybe ever in the United States. I, I think there are a couple of different narratives that have kind of attempted to explain what has led to the rise of Trump. And I think all of them are part of the puzzle, but not the whole thing. Number one is the argument you, you hear from a lot of kind of establishment Republicans who are trying to rationalize why they nominated this crazy person to be their nominee. <laughs> and that is what, you, what you'll hear is it's economic anxiety. That's, that's the driving force here. The United States is experiencing 
you know, middle class incomes haven't really risen for the past 20 years. Sure, unemployment, sure we're better off than we were years ago, but the economy isn't humming along the way that Americans are accustomed to yeah. seeing it hum along. Yeah. And because of that anxiety, especially in, in specific regions of the country, you know, Appalachia, the industrial Midwest, these are places that have really been hurt economically. And that's the reason that Trump has risen. He has appealed to them by saying, you know, think about when he says make America great again, what does he mean? Those people will tell you he means we need to make America great again economically. Um, that's the that's the narrative you hear from, I think, from establishment Republicans who are trying to rationalize it. And I think that's part of the story. The narrative you hear from, from you know, the Hillary campaign and from a lot of people on my side of the aisle is it's, it's racism. America has these long running, uh, you know, racist kind of deep ethos tendencies that we've never really addressed, that we've kind of pushed aside and ignored, and they are coming to the fore. They, they have been kind of awakened by the existence of a black president, and they, they're kind of moving this, this alt-right narrative that you hear Hillary Clinton talk about all the time. Yes. We have, they have kind of been pushed into the mainstream. A lot of Americans are racist. Trump is a racist, and that's why we've seen the rise of Trump. So that's kind of the argument you hear from the left. And then, you know, when, when he says make America great, what he means is make America great again racially, right? Yeah. You know, uh, and, white you know America should have been this place where whiteness was allowed to prosper, and now we have Muslims and we have... And, and I think there's, there's no doubt in my mind, I don't think any rational person could say that Trump hasn't at least attempted to stoke those flames. Um, so yeah. I think that is also part of the story. And then there's a third story, and I think that mostly has to do with Americans' perception of our place in the world. And, and that, you know, I think that started with 9-11 and continued with, with first with the war in Iraq and then with everything that's happened since in the Middle East. Americans, you know, we deeply believe, we are, we are taught to believe that we are invincible, you know, but part of America's very ethos, you said don't go back to 1776, but in this sense it kind of does. Americans have always believed, listen, we're, we got the Atlantic on one side, the Pacific on the other, we're safe. We're kind of separate from the rest of the world. Okay. We're this safe place. No one can really hurt us. Sure. And that really was true until 9-11. And I think a lot of Americans perceive that we're just not as safe as we once were. And that, in that case, under that argument, make America great again means like make America secure again. So I think there are these kind of all these different elements. I think, I think all of them are somewhat true. I think the overarching reality here is that whether or not it's true, because there's a lot of evidence that our economy is actually doing really great right now. Sure. So whether or not it's true, Americans perceive that whether you're talking about economics, whether you're talking about race, whether you're talking about America's global standing, we aren't doing as well as we have become accustomed to, right? We're not doing as well as we feel like we should be, even if that's not the reality, that's the perception. And mm -hmm. I think those kind of three intertwined narratives are what has allowed Trump to become a political force. Um, he has almost perfectly, I mean, he's, he's not a politician, but he's a political genius. He has kind of been able to tap into all three of those anxieties in, yeah. a, in a really, in a way that really connects with a lot of Americans. Yeah, I think um, that's a very apt assessment of the situation. And, and that's, I think, you know, that's my, as basic as I think I can put it. And again, I think there will be books written on this. I think there will be, you know, PhD dissertations written on this because it is the strangest and the weirdest thing that's, that's ever happened in American politics. It's up there, dude. Seriously. I don't know, man. Like, what I don't understand, and I'm not trying to like, I mean, I know you're on the, you're on the blue side here, uh, but I'm not trying to like suck up to the Democrats because as I like to point out to people, I am a liberal. I am not a Democrat because I don't, I don't necessarily agree with everything the Democrats do or like sure. everything that they do, but I do associate with them more than the other side. So what sure. I don't sure. understand is people who put Hillary and Trump on the same level, like, Oh, well, you know, Trump is doing all this and that, but Hillary has done this and that. I'm like, no, it's sure. not even close. It's not right. even close. Like, not only does Hillary have to deal with this Benghazi scandal, which isn't really a scandal, or and this email <laughs> scandal, which is I mean, it's a it's a ticky tack it's a ticky tack scandal in my opinion. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just been overblown. And very much so. It's yeah. like you said, the perception of the scandal is what's really got people upset. And not only and that, that, what, what, yeah. what, what is even worse than those two for me is this the, the, the Clinton Foundation alleged scandal. That just drives me crazy. The Clinton Foundation, I mean, it is a phenomenal charity. Like, it literally saves tens of thousands of lives every year. And now it's become this kind of political talking point that, that now is associated with corruption. And that just drives me insane. I mean, it's 
It's it's infuriating to me. And also Hillary has to battle, and this was very exemplified this past week when she got sick, where she was where she wasn't feeling well, she had pneumonia or whatever. It doesn't sure. matter. But she's a woman. Like mm-hmm. like Trump he doesn't have anything working against him. Like I just feel like he just rolls with these punches and people just mm-hmm. kind of let him talk and say oh, yeah. the shit he wants. If Hillary, as a woman, were to engage in the same behavior and same practices as this man, as this unconfirmed billionaire who is supposedly running on a ticket of, I'm such a great businessman, when if you look at his business record, he's he's full of shit. Hillary, who is qualified, but unlikable, I'll be the first to admit I really am not warm to her, but I feel like she addressed that not too long ago about... She had to be very stoic because she had a lot to deal with as a woman, which I respected. I just don't understand. I'm like, Hillary is not like 100% here. But Trump is so far from being a decent candidate. It's right. They're not even on the same level. Right. They are not even on the same level. It drives yeah, I- me up the wall that people are like, well, you know, he's a healthy alternative. No, he is not. <laughs> I, I am 100% with you, and I think that there was a poll out today that among millennials, Gary Johnson is doing as well as Hillary Clinton. And that just utterly blows my mind, because yeah, I think there are a lot of millennials who like to call themselves libertarians, but don't actually understand what that means. That ideology has been so abused and misrepresented in our day, it's just, it's, yeah. ri- it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think, I personally think libertarianism is crazy. <laughs> I think that, you know, it's it's cute and nice to think that we can have a society where we don't need government to intervene in in the economy and in, in, in you know different parts of public life but that's just not the world we have yeah you know like, it would be nice to pay no taxes but uh you know i live in dc and we have the highest local taxes in the country but guess what we have a great public transportation system yeah we have a great police force you know even though it's a, a city that has a lot of gang violence problems i feel very safe because there are cops everywhere yeah, you know, I, I can. I live very far from work, and I get to work in half an hour because the train runs on time. You know, like that. Sure, I pay a lot of taxes, but I get benefits from those. It's really funny. People who don't trust the government and and like criticize the government. It's really funny that they want limited government. They want the government out of their lives until they don't. It's really like, sure. oh, you 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 curse the government and you curse public services. You talk about, oh, the government's the problem until it isn't. Like until you want, like, hey, where's the government right now? It's like I think that I'll, I'll make I'll make one point about that. I'll, I'll make an example and then I'll go back to what you said about Hillary kind of being treated unfairly. And, and I think a great example of what you're talking about is the flooding in Baton Rouge. The flooding primarily happened in you know suburban Baton Rouge. It did it did affect parts of you know, the city, but it affected a lot of, like, suburban Baton Rouge that is primarily people who would consider themselves conservative Republican. I mean, you know the area better than I do, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I've never lived in Baton Rouge. You know, everything I've read and everything I understand is these, you know, these are white, blue-collar folks who I, you know, overwhelmingly vote Republican, and now they need money from the federal government because the state government, under the leadership of, in my opinion, the previous governor, um, totally mismanaged the state's budget and just utterly butchered it. Um, so now uh, Louisiana needs money from the federal government and they're going to get it. They're going to get, you know, Congress is going to, is going to find a way to give them the money, but you know, that's the way it has to work. You know, <laughs> the, the government can't just not do anything. We, we uh, that's just not the world we live in. And then if I may, to, to go back to what you were saying about, about Hillary yeah, for a go second, ahead, go ahead. you know, I'm not saying the media, I'm not blaming the media for the rise of Trump, yeah. but they have absolutely, been complicit and And i think part of it is he is such a good entertainer and such a you know he he obviously every time he speaks people turn tvs on so in terms of ratings there's a financial incentive for them to cover him he's captivating he's captivating right right he is incredibly interesting to watch (laughs) he is he's i mean i remember one debate where like he literally within the first minute of the debate implied that he had a large dick (laughs) literally literally i was i turned on the debate within one minute it was the thing where, like, someone made fun of his hands, yeah. and Donald Trump said, oh, I, I, uh, I've heard it said that if I have small hands, I must have a small something else, and I can assure you that's not a problem. And I was like, this is, this is a presidential debate, but of course people are going to watch that, because yeah. you've turned politics into WWE. And I think that was part of his goal all along. And I, and I think that the other reason, besides there's a financial incentive for the media to cover him because the ratings are higher, is that the media is obsessed with being perceived as being unbiased and i think that for so long 
for, for years now, really since Reagan, conservatives have been crying and bitching and moaning about there's a liberal media bias. And personally, I don't think there ever has been a liberal media bias, but I think that conservatives did a good job of perpetuating that myth for so long that the media actually trips over themselves not to have a liberal media bias. So the example I give is that like if Hillary came out one day and said the sky is blue and Trump said the sky is orange, the, the headline would be Hillary and Trump disagree about the color of the sky when the headline should be Trump doesn't know what the fucking color of the sky is. Um, you know, when, when I think the media is afraid when one candidate is blatantly wrong to call them out on it because they perceive that as, oh, oh we're going to be called biased. Well, if one candidate is dead wrong, your job as the media is to call them out on it. There was wow. actually a moment back in 2012. Yeah. It was at one of the, uh, the uh, debates between President Obama and, and Mitt Romney. And Mitt Romney, I think they were talking about the, the Benghazi thing, and uh, Mitt Romney said, uh, President Obama called that, you know, uh, he said in, in the Rose Garden in his initial speech that it wasn't a terrorist attack. And Candy Crowley, who was the moderator, said, actually, you're wrong. Look at the transcript. That's not what President Obama said. And conservatives went crazy. Oh, why should the moderator be allowed to intervene like that? Well, you lied. The media's job should be to tell the people when a candidate is lying. But it's almost like they're afraid to do that yeah. because they'll be accused of having a liberal bias. Yeah, like uh, um, what Matt Lauer just did or didn't do when he was had that public forum with Trump, how Trump said he was always against the Iraq war and he never said right. anything like that. And I was just like, God, Matt Lauer, you I suck. actually watched that. I thought that was one of the worst interviews I've ever seen. I mean, it was pathetic. Trump, he just let Trump get away with lie after lie. And what's, what's so frustrating about it is with Hillary, he didn't. Um, yeah, <laughs> like it was, it was, it was advertised and billed as this is going to be this forum where we ask both candidates questions about national security with Hillary. He just talked about the emails. He just asked her about the emails over and over again. And then with Trump, he actually talks about national security issues, but then lets Trump, you know, espouse nonsense. Oh, you, you've said you're going to destroy ISIS. How Trump says, well, we're going to bomb them to hell. What do you mean? Like, what's how? Oh, well, I'm not going to tell them my plan. That's not a, you, you have to be a better interviewer than that. You have to be able to challenge him and actually get him to say something of substance. Because Trump yeah. hasn't said a damn thing about of substance this entire election. Because the media hasn't made it. Can I ask you? Can I ask you something? This bothered me recently, and it's been kind of bothering me about Trump. So Trump ho- hosted SNL last season, right? Sure. Which I'm like, why? Why right. would you let him do that? I was like, right. that's insane. And uh, Trump was just recently on Fallon, like Jimmy Fallon. And right. Jimmy Fallon was like bosom buddies with him. For instance, Seth Meyers, who is sure. also on NBC, who has the show after Jimmy Fallon, ban- has banned Trump from his show because he doesn't want to be complicit in that. I just find it interesting that certain media, and I mean, SNL, Tonight mm-hmm. Show, they're both on television. Therefore, they are, sure. that is a medium. They are part of the media. It's just yeah. really funny how certain media, like shows and news, try to make Trump seem innocuous and very down to earth and very palatable it's just like no you're literally talking to a giant asshole and you're trying to pass that off as oh isn't he just endearing and encourageable it's like no respectable person should be associated with this man sure i know it's absolutely i i I definitely which i forget which channel seth myers is on you know he's on he's on nbc as well He's on NBC. Yeah, I think it's awesome that NBC let him do that. And I think there's, it's kind of, from that perspective, I think you're in a tough spot as, as a, you know, talk show host. Cause on one hand, like traditionally, you do have presidential candidates on. And it, yeah. if you, if you refuse to, and if you don't, you know, are you refusing to cover someone who actually, like this person could end up being the leader of the free world? And, you know, for, for better or for worse, Americans have become accustomed to, you know, seeing them on comedy shows as part of, I guess it gives us the sense of like modern day fireside chats. Like, you know, you get getting to see the president in kind of that informal setting. Yeah. And for better or for worse, that's become an expectation. And is it fair to deny people that? I mean, he is the nominee for president. He is the Republican nominee. He won fair and square. So is it fair to deny him that on the other hand, you know, he's a buffoon? And should he be treated like a buffoon? The Early on in the primary process, the Huffington Post, by the way, I hate the Huffington Post, but I think they, <laughs> they actually did something right. And it blew up in their face is early on they said we're going to cover trump in the entertainment section of, of our website instead of on the politics section and they were doing that for a while and then he started winning and they kind of had to they had to cover him as a real candidate because then he, he was a real candidate but i think that if more media had 
done what HuffPo did early on and kind of just really said, we're not covering this guy. This guy's a gigantic buffoon who is unfit to be president, and we refuse to be complicit in, in you know, showcasing his, his candidacy. I think we might be in a different place than we are now. We'll never know. I don't know. All right. Let's, uh, let's switch topics. You're one of God's chosen people. You are Jewish, correct? <laughs> I am indeed. I am chosen by God. I don't mean any offense by this. Please don't anyone take offense by this. But you are one of the most Jewish guys I know. Like I, I know some Jewish people, and you are definitely, very uh, definitely front and center with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So I think last time, one of the last times we hung out with each other, my old boss was Jewish, and we we would we would discuss Judaism because I thought I had a good beat on it, but I didn't know. Like, okay, you explain conservative judaism and like i just want you to like for anyone who is unaware because i feel like y'all get a bad rep in modern culture you know like you just if you can give people a breakdown of what judaism is like the highlights of it all like i I really want people to get more familiar with it because i feel like a lot of people don't know much about it judaism in general or specifically conservative well just in general because like I feel like Judaism is misrepresented in this in our country and oh, across the yeah. world. So, all right, like like we did with this election. If I was a five year old, how would you explain uh, what a, a breakdown of Judaism? Sure, good question. I, I listen. I, I think that J- Judaism is this weird subculture that is not like any other religion or race or ethnicity. It's you know, very it, distinct. Y'all it, are very distinct. It, it's right. It's 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 almost. A religion, but also a culture, but also an ethnicity. It's it's hard to define, and and the reason I say that is because you know Judaism is unlike a religion in that unlike unlike any other religion. I mean, in that there's a separate from the religion itself, there is such a thing as Jewish culture, right? Yes. And that doesn't really exist in Christianity, right? Like for example, if if you know, I think someone like you who might have Christian parents. Um, yes. But you don't practice Christianity. You you typically wouldn't say if someone asked you what your religion was. Oh, I, I you know I'm I'm Christian. Yeah. You would uh, say, well, my parents are Christian, but I'm not. Or you know, my parents are Christian, and I go to church once in a while, but I don't really consider myself Christian. Whereas plenty of people, the vast majority of American Jews, do not practice kosher laws. Do not you know strictly keep the Sabbath. Uh, do not you know in, engage in in like a, a, a actual Inter, you know, literal interpretation of Jewish law, and yet consider themselves Jewish. And I don't think that exists in American Christianity, and I don't think it really exists in Islam either. Yeah. I'm not, can, no um, religious scholar, so I don't want to, you know, yeah, I'm I can, not saying um, that I know that for sure. But I can speak to that because I am not religious. I am an atheist. My mother is also an atheist. My brother, he's kind of agnostic, kind of on the fence. He doesn't <laughs> really care. My stepdad is very secular, but he was raised Baptist. To speak to what you were saying, like, what I tell people is I was raised Catholic, but I'm not Catholic, and I don't consider myself Catholic at all. But I was – my whole family, on my mother's side at least, is Irish Catholic. So I qualify it with – because Irish Catholic is its own subset of culture, which is a whole other topic. But but, but I don't consider myself Catholic. Like, if I were to be like, oh, that's because I – you know, I'm – traditionally catholic or something like that or i was raised in a catholic culture i wouldn't i don't define myself as catholic whereas you would say yes i am jewish yes even if you weren't practicing <laughs> right and and to be honest like i i think that the high school version of joe was a little bit more religious than i am now i, I don't practice as much as I, I did before but again i still absolutely consider myself jewish and identify as a jew and and part of that is that you know there's a there's a culture outside of the religion right like when people think of american jews you think of like Seinfeld style comedy, right? Yeah, like Larry Woody David. Allen, all that and that has stuff, nothing yeah. to do with Judaism. There's nothing inherently Jewish about yeah. like what's called Jewish co- comedy, quote unquote. It's just kind of something that's developed as a as a culture among this same group of people that also happens to share religious ancestry. Um, okay. And you know, it's it's I, I, that's it's kind of a strange subculture that um, when you talk about like, oh, you know, what are the different kinds of Americans? You have Irish American. Every almost everyone else is like a nationality. There are Irish Americans and Italian Americans and African Americans, Chinese Americans, and they're Jewish American. You know, that's not a country. We didn't all come from Jewish land. Uh, okay, we so- came from primarily from Poland and Russia and Germany, fleeing. Uh, you know, people trying to kill us. Okay, so, so it's a little bit different. So, like I mentioned, conservatism, and if you could, in like the broadest sense, 
break down the different sects? Is that S E C T S? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, of, that's the right word. Yeah, if you could break it down, just a rundown real quick. So sure, people sure. have a there better idea of it's not three... y'all, Yeah, y'all aren't one cohesive. There's no such thing as one cohesive group. That's there's 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 splinters and factions and sects of There are, group. but not in the same way that I mean again, I'm no religious scholar, but I you know, the, the differences between the different sects of Judaism are kind of much less significant than the differences between like Catholicism and Protestantism. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so I'll, I'll break it down to, as simply as I can. There are basically three sects: Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox. Orthodox Jews, and there's even a lot of division among them. There are kind of ultra-Orthodox Jews, or the people you might see in like Brooklyn yeah. with the, when, the black hats and the and the curly hair. When I heard uh, that there was ultra-Orthodox, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Right. So, there so are people what, more Orthodox than Orthodox Jews. I was like, whoa! Yeah, so that's 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 kind of the ultra-Orthodox Jews. Those are the ones who like you see with the hats and the you know curls and everything. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. In, in kind of Brooklyn and in certain parts of, of big cities. And there's, uh, and there's also what's called modern Orthodox, which is more mainstream, which is basically Orthodox Jews are the, the most observant, the most religious, yeah. a much more strict interpretation of the Torah, you know, kind of uh, they're definitely going to, you know, not work on the Sabbath. They're going to keep kosher yeah. and they'll, they'll do a lot of things that a lot of people might think are weird. Like, you know, if you're keeping strict kosher, you have two sets of dishes, one for milk and one for meat. And then, you know, whereas someone who's less religious might still keep their idea of kosher, they might not mix milk and meat, but they might not have two sets of dishes, right? Okay. So Orthodox Jews are going to have, like, they're going to strictly follow the, the rules. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have Reformed Jews, who are the least observant. Yeah. And basically, the, the basic ideology of Reformed Judaism is that it basically splits Jewish law into two, and it says that there's the moral parts of Jewish law and the non-moral parts of Jewish law and the moral the moral laws you still have to keep but all the non-moral ones are optional okay. um, so it doesn't say don't do these things but it basically says things like keeping kosher things like keeping the Sabbath that's optional yeah. you can you can study it you can decide whether it's meaningful to you and you can do it or not do it based on your understanding if you're, if you're a quote-unquote good reformed Jew, it doesn't say you can like indiscriminately not do things. You have to kind of look into it and say like, oh, I want to do this because, or I want not to do this because. A lot of people don't actually do that, but that's kind of what reformed Judaism wants you to do. Study it and decide what's meaningful to you and then okay. do that. Okay. Um, and in the middle is what is the, the sect of Judaism that I was raised in, even if I don't always uh, follow it strictly. Um is conservative Judaism, and that's definitely the middle child of, of Judaism, uh, kind of caught in the middle. And what they what they basically believe is that, Jew, unlike Reformed Jews, they still say Jewish law is binding, but what they say is that Jewish law can change, whereas Orthodox Jews are basically following the same Jewish laws from 500 years ago, mm -hmm. which was the, the last codified document that, like, explained what Jewish law is. It was written in the 1600s. Orthodox Jews basically say that is Jewish law, we follow that, it can't change. Conservative Jews say, well, you still have to follow Jewish law, unlike Reformed Judaism. You can't just decide not to do it, but the law can change. And for example, five or six years ago, Conservative Judaism basically said um, rabbis can be gay. Um, and that was okay. a big thing. Reform Judaism did it years ago. Because, because again, like the, the Torah does specifically say, and Leviticus, it specifically says that gay sex is forbidden. It is against the law, right? So through some kind of legal jiggery-pokery, as the late Justice Antonin Scalia might say. The conservative movement kind of said, well, we don't really believe that anymore. We're going to change the law. Uh, so so that, that that's kind of the, the, the middle ground. They say the law, you can't just indiscriminately not follow the law, but the law also isn't stuck from 500 years ago and, like, not allowed to, to be changed to fit society as we understand if, it in the 21st if can, century. If I can interject, I have to say, like I said, I've known you since I was... 16 years old. One of my other good friends, Ben, he did a podcast episode. He's one of my best friends in the whole wide world. He's Jewish. I've I've been surrounded by Jewish people, and I feel like I, I have a feel for y'all's culture overall, and he's reform. Him, his family, they're, they're reform. And I have to say, y'all probably are my favorite religion because I respect y'all. No, I really do respect y'all's mindset like okay i can't speak for the orthodox i've never met an orthodox jew but mm -hmm. as far as conservatism and reform i feel like y'all are adaptable and y'all aren't necessarily inclusive but y'all aren't damning and y'all aren't 
y'all are very respectful of other people's beliefs. Sure. And I just, I really yeah. dig the shit out of that because y'all just seem very like, hey, we, we, we believe this. We don't need other people to believe this to, re- to reaffirm our beliefs. So y'all don't fuck with anybody like, like Catholics right. and a lot of right. other religions do. Fuck. And, and that's actually, it's a great point, but it's also, it's embedded in the religion itself, right? Because in, again, not a religious scholar, but I, my understanding is that in both Islam and in Christianity, part of the rule is you you are supposed to go make other people convert. Well, I can I can only speak with Catholicism, and this is 13 years of Catholic school here. Right. You want other people to join, because you want to save other people's souls. Because right. it, it, in Catholicism, at least, if you're not baptized and you are a practicer of another religion, obviously, like they say, First Amendment or <laughs> First Commandment, excuse me, uh, is yeah. thou shalt not have any other god besides me. Well, the Catholic God and the Jewish God are different. So if you worship the Jewish God, which is the original God who proclaimed that mm-hmm. commandment originally, but that's a whole topic for another day. Right. Uh, right. If you don't worship the Catholic God, you're going to hell. And if you right. don't practice Catholicism, you're going to hell. And it's Right. Yes, it kind of is a moral responsibility to try and convert people or on the flip side, I mean I mean I hate to rag on Catholics cuz I know a lot of good Catholics and Catholicism is good overall for the most part, but there's also this superiority and this righteousness, self-righteousness that oh, well we're not going to hell cuz we're good Catholics, but the rest of y'all are all going to hell. It's really right. I just that's not present in Judaism from what I've sure. experienced. Right, and and the reason is you know, Judaism doesn't have that mandate to try to convert people. In fact, it's really hard. I actually asked a, a, a friend of mine who's a, an evangelical. I don't have that many evangelical friends, but I have one. I said, you know, if I wanted to convert, if I went to your, you know, pastor or preacher or whatever the proper yeah, term father, is whatever, and yeah. said, I would like to convert to being an evangelical Christian, how long would it take me? And he was like, you could be baptized today. Yep. You know, if, if you if you went to a rabbi, John, and you said, I want to convert to Judaism— they would say, okay, you have to study. Typically, the period is one year, and then you have to go before a panel of rabbis who have to, they will test you, and they will certify that you are sufficiently knowledgeable to convert to Judaism, right? Yeah. It's, not only do we not, are you not supposed to, like, seek people to convert, we make it incredibly difficult. So, and and you know, I think that the fact that Judaism doesn't have that mandate where you're, oh, you're supposed to go and try to convert people, you know, gives it that option to be open. Right? Like, Judaism doesn't believe that the laws that we follow have to be followed by everyone. Judaism only believes that Jews have to follow Jewish law, yeah. which I think is a little bit unique. Uh, I think Christians believe that everyone is supposed to follow Christian yes. law. And I believe Muslims believe the same thing. So, you, you eating pork does not offend me, and it wouldn't even offend an ultra-Orthodox Jew, because you're not Jewish. Yeah. A Jew eating pork would offend an ultra-Orthodox yeah, Jew. Yeah, I'm never wouldn't giving offend that. me, but, uh, <laughs> I'm never you know, giving up it, bacon, man. I'm sorry. That's, right. that's just not happening. <laughs> and, and we, and hey, we don't expect you to. Unless you decide you want to convert to Judaism, then you're going to have to at least pretend to give it up. Look, man. Look. <laughs> look. All I'm saying about that kosher, just that. That is the only kosher thing that I'm like, okay, I, I don't care about the rest of it. Look. <laughs> I just believe an all-loving God wouldn't put bacon on this earth and tell us, don't eat that. Uh, that's, all, that's all I'm saying, all right? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. I've I've actually never had bacon, but uh, everyone says that. Oh, it's the greatest thing on earth, man. It's my favorite food, seriously. I love it so much. (laughs) On the other hand, it's it's probably good for my health. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's that's where the love of God comes in. He just wanted me to stay skinny. (laughs) If I die at 30, I'll be like, man, probably was all that bacon and drinking I did. Well, Judaism actually encourages drinking. I think that we're one of the only religions that does that. Yeah. Not only do we say you're allowed to drink, but there are a bunch of different times where you're like, you're supposed to drink. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, that Manny <laughs> Shevitz, bruh. That Manny Shevitz, bruh. Oh, yeah. That's some oh, yeah, good that's shit, dude. Nectar of the gods, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> did, okay, so do you feel comfortable that that was, an, uh, that was a good rundown, or did you want to add anything else to it? No, I, I think that's a good rundown. You know, I would just say that Judaism, I think, again, unlike Christianity, and I think unlike Islam, it's just, to me, what it means to be a Jew is so, I mean, certainly religion's a part of it, like when I think, what does it mean to be a Jew, definitely engaging in certain Jewish rituals is part of it, but, you know, it's also, it's it's cultural, you know, 
there's nothing inherently Jewish about bagels, right? Bagels aren't in the Torah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yet that's like a, a major piece of Jewish culture. Yeah. Um, and I think that especially in the United States, Judaism has kind of grown out of being just a religion. And I, you know, identify so strongly, not just with the religion, but with the culture. Yeah. Um, and even though I, I don't, I'm not particularly observant, you know, I, I don't eat pork, but I, I don't also don't keep anything close to like strict kosher. I certainly don't keep the Sabbath, but I, you know, I, I strongly identify as a Jew because I, I connect to that culture. What I was not aware of until I researched it very recently was how small the Jewish not only national population of this country, but global population. Oh, yeah. Y'all are very, like, you're so distinct and people are aware of y'all, but actually there aren't, the Jewish population globally is pretty small when you think about it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's it's very small. Um, I believe, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I believe that it's actually smaller now than it was before the Holocaust. I think that, because the Holocaust... About one-third of the Jews in the world were killed by the Holocaust. So I think that, you know, when, when you have such a, you know, sudden and drastic drop in population, it takes a long time to get numbers back. So I, I, if I, I'm not 100% sure about that, but I think it's there are fewer Jews now than there were in 1940 yeah. in the world. And in the United States, I think Jews are about about 1.5% of the American population, which, yeah, like, some, some a lot small. of people think it's so much more. Because yeah. you hear about, all oh, the Jews controlling the media and the Jews... We're a tiny, tiny subset yeah, of Yeah, controlling America. Hollywood and all that shit, yeah. Right, right, right. But, uh, uh, but yeah, again, 1.5% is, I think, the, about where we're at. And like, from, that's, you know, from my understanding, tiny. it's because of y'all are being bred out, right? Like y'all, y'all are making babies with non-Jews, and it kind of y'all's <sighs> culture's getting lost to an extent, right? A little bit, sure. Um, you know, it's, I think that kind of intermarriage and assimilation are uh, yeah. a challenge. And I don't want to say it's a problem because I think that any, I mean, this is America. We're a melting pot. That's the way it goes. Any, Absolutely. any kind of subset of Americans, we mix and we, we. But I think that Jew, Jews, it's, a, it's a challenge because our kind of we're, we're so tied to our history that it's a challenge to, you know. I, I, and I have a lot of friends who are dating non-Jews who are kind of struggling with that because um, they, a lot of my friends, you know, strongly, strongly want to raise their kids as Jews. And that doesn't, again, that doesn't necessarily mean as religious Jews, but they want to raise their kids as Jews, but they're, you know, dating in, in you know, long-term serious relationships with non-Jews, and they're starting to have to have those conversations with their with their significant others about, like, hey, if we end up having kids, how are we going to deal with this? Because it really is important. And to me, you know, if I, I, I was dating a non-Jew for a while, it didn't, didn't work out, but, you know, I'm at, you know, I'm at the point in my life where... You know, anyone you date, you almost have to kind of start thinking about that stuff. So, absolutely. In the event that I start dating a non-Jew again, that that definitely would be something in the back of my mind. And that's not to necessarily say that I would never marry a non-Jew, but it is. I mean, it is very, very important to me that my kids be raised as Jews. Um, yeah, and that's something that I think a lot of Jews like me, who are like closely and, and really intimately connected with Judaism, but also like live in the modern world, associate with non-Jews and date, and sometimes fall in love with non-Jews. That's a it's a it's a challenge. Anyway, you want to move on to the questionnaire? Absolutely, sure. Okay, is there, unless there was anything else you wanted to talk about. Uh, I think I think we're good. Okay, we're good. cool. I was thinking about tackling mentioning the Middle East, but we're already like almost to an hour, and that that would <laughs> that would add like another <laughs> half hour to the thing. Let's, so. We can do another whole another whole podcast. Yeah, seriously. Piece, next, uh, yeah. I think what my plan is like. I think I'm going to do 12 or 13 episodes. You're number 10. I think I got like two or three more episodes left. That's going to be the end of season one or volume got one it. or whatever. Got it. And then maybe next year, maybe early next year, like January, February, I'll pick it up again mm-hmm. because like, okay, I'm not going to lie. This is so much fun. Like, I love this. This is my passion project, but it really is time consuming because I want, I want it to be perfect and I want it to be. I, I, I go through every single little aspect of these episodes and I want everything to sound right. I want it to be smooth and I, I want it to be good. So it's, it takes yeah. a lot of time. So it's this recording is so much fun. That is the yeah. best. And listening yeah. back to episodes is so much fun. Editing sucks huge balls. I feel you, man. And, and listen, I, first of all, I just, I think it's awesome that you're doing this. I think you're, you're a person and I think this is probably why we're friends. You're just a really, I guess, intellectually curious person, you know, and the fact that you want to have me on to talk about things that a lot of people might not, the vast majority of people are not interested in, you know, Jewish theology or quite frankly in politics. Uh, and you kind of want to get into those things. I think it's awesome. And I'm really kind of stoked that you're doing it. All right, man. Let's move on to this questionnaire. 
Yeah. Okay. Did you did you look at the list? Like what? The I looked at the list, and I'm I'm looking at it right now too. So I'm I'm ready. Okay. What is your favorite word? This is this might sound lame, but recently I've been using the word word a lot. Oh, like I'll tell you why. Uh, it's because it's ver- very versatile and you can use it to mean anything. And in, in my line of work, a lot of people talk to me and I don't care about what they're saying. Um, and if you just kind of nod and say word, then, uh, they kind of, it's like, you can express that you're like, uh, listening without, <laughs> without actually having to pay any attention to what they're saying. I, I, well, not only do I do the same, I have a friend who told me one day, he's like, John, I want you to know all this time. Uh, when I've been listening and I just nod my head and say word, I probably wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like someone will ask me, like, they'll just stop, word, word, man. Like, it's just, it, 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 it gives them the sense that I am listening when I am in fact not. Uh, so I, kind of uh, lame and not necessarily proud of that fact, but I have been recently overusing the word, word a lot. <laughs> okay, alright. Uh, what's your least favorite word? Republican, I guess. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think my least favorite word right now is Trump. I'm just so tired of hearing about him. I want this election to be over, and I just want I, I want to be able to forget that this nonsense ever happened. So I'll go with Trump for my least favorite word. Uh, he drives me crazy. I, I'm totally with you. It's, it's it's amazing to me also that he literally uses the same like four or five phrases over and over yeah. again. He like doesn't have. He just says like I can tell you that right now. Believe me. Like, someone's like, I wonder what Trump would say if someone asked him this. I'll tell you exactly what he would say. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, we've been treated really badly. You've been treated really badly over the past eight years. And, uh, you know, if I'm president, we're going to fix it. I'm going to make it so much better. I'll tell you that right now. Like, he doesn't think. He just says the same thing over and over again. All right. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally, you know, physically, sexually, whatever whatever you want to what, what What gets you going? Dude, so I... I was thinking about how to answer this question. I never exercised really in high school or even really in college. Yeah. Um, and I've started doing it partly because it's healthy, yeah. partially because partly it's good stress relief. Um, so it's only, I've really only been like running and, you know, kind of lifting weights for, for like a, a year and a half, two years now. But I, I really like it. I, ne- I never thought I would. It started as like a, I hate this, but I'll do it because it's healthy. And I've, I've kind of gotten into it, especially running. I, I used to hate running so much. I used to, I really hated running. I've, I've gotten into it. It's like good kind of thinking time and stress relief for me at the end I of a agree, long day. Yeah. So I've, I've been into running these days. Okay. Uh, what turns you off? <sighs> something that, um, I, it's just something I've been thinking a lot about because I deal with it all the time living and working in DC. There's just so many people that I encounter on a daily basis have this incredibly overinflated sense of how important they are. Oh, God. Um, yes. Like, you know, People, you know, call me and say like, oh, you need to get your boss to sign on to this bill, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you're a, you're like me. You're a legislative assistant for like a relatively junior member of Congress. You are not the most important person. I do not have to call you back within one hour of you sending me this email. <laughs> and just so many people like so many people when you're when you're hanging out, just like not at work. So many people still talk about work and like act all like faux stressed about it and like. I don't know. I don't know. Like work martyr syndrome is just the biggest thing in DC. Everyone is like, Oh my God, I was working till nine today. If you were working till nine, you did probably didn't need to. It's probably because you, <laughs> you, you, I don't even believe you. You're probably just saying that like it's, but there are so many people like that in DC and it's, it's kind of frustrating. All right. This is my favorite question. What's your favorite curse word? I was thinking about this question and I'll tell you what it is. My favorite curse word is dick bitch. <laughs> wait, 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 I, I, I like, I like, Whoa. I like creative curse words. Dick bitch? Um, is that a- For example, I called someone a thunder cunt the other day. <laughs> I like to be creative. I think that just like fucking shit are too unimaginative. <laughs> and I and I was just one day I was just bantering and I called someone a dick bitch and I wasn't even thinking about it. And then I, I like thought and I was like, that's actually a great insult. Because like calling someone a dick and a bitch at the same time, it just it's really stinging. Um, <laughs> and it like questions both like their manhood. And they're like temperament. So it's just, it's a great curse word. It's a great insult. That's, that's a new one. I've never heard that one. Before. I've heard, I've heard yeah. thunder cunt, but I've never heard dick. Bitch. I think I stole that from a movie. I can't remember which one. Though, okay, okay. But I didn't make that up. Okay. <laughs> okay. What sound or noise do you love? This isn't really a sound or a noise, but I, I, uh, sometimes will repeatedly listen 
to the Jim Henderson on Saints radio call when the Saints uh, won the NFC Championship. Oh, yeah, You know, yeah, like, yeah. pigs have flown! Hell has frozen over! Yeah. The Saints are on their way to the Super Bowl! He's just so euphoric and ex- exasperated at the same time. And mm-hmm. it's it's remarkable. That's, oh, God, I love that. I love that radio call, man. When, when, I, when I'm having a bad day, I'll just, like, YouTube that and just listen to it. <laughs> okay, uh, what sound or noise do you hate? I mean, this is like standard, but I, the sound of like nails on a chalkboard is the worst thing ever. That's I been... also hate the sound of like microphone interference that like drives me crazy. I was at a, I was at like a, a party last weekend and just whoever was fucking DJing was just bad at their job and like there kept being microphone interference and it made me want to choke somebody. Nails on a chalkboard have been very popular. Mine is screeching styrofoam. That's the, oh, I hate that sound so much. Ugh, oh, that's the worst. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Yeah, that's bad. So we, we already discussed you worked in politics. What profession, sure. other than your own, would you like to attempt? I think being a sports journalist would be awesome. Like, I would love – I have no training in journalism at all, but in a different life, I think being, like, a sportscaster or, like, a, a beat writer would be awesome. I, I love I, – I obviously love sports um, and just – I love, like, the intellectual aspect of it. Like, I love not just – watching games but like analyzing them and you know figuring out the x's and o's and i i just think being like a, a sports columnist would be great okay what profession would you not like to do so this is this might sound kind of paradoxical um, but i <laughs> have no interest ever in running for public office i you know as like a staffer for a politician that's one thing and kind of we work behind the scenes and kind of get a lot of things done that people don't realize or think about but just watching like my boss and watching members of congress just like they take so much shit and like a lot of it just is not deserved and they just are are stuck kind of catering to so many different just just kind of incentives that, that and you know they i mean you know congress is the most unpopular institution in america i think that communism right now is a higher approval rating than congress the irs um, probably has a better approval right. rating than congress right now Right. I, I think Darth Vader has a higher approval rating than Congress right now. But I, I think that part of that's not fair. Um, I, you know, in my work, I know the vast majority of people. There are definitely some people who are just careerists and in it for, you know, the, 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 the power and the fame. But I think most of the people I've worked with are legitimately good people who want to do good things that are just caught in a shitty system. Yeah. Um, and they're just, you know, they just take so much shit, um, and are forced to do all kinds of, you know, members of congress spend half their time on the fucking phone asking for money you know it's just it's terrible it sucks that's the thing i could never like i would love to go into politics like i would love to be an elected official i'd love to be a public servant more more accurately but i don't think i'm electable like i'm (laughs) i'm foul mouth i'm an atheist i could never relate to someone not in an urban or suburban setting like I, i i don't think i'm electable i would never i I I would never win a popularity contest as long yeah. as I live. I yeah. I don't give a shit about if people like me. I don't like to beg people for favors or money. I would just be like, "Yo, y'all should probably just listen to me." Uh, I can't really can't really inst- I can't really give you much faith, but uh, yeah, I think I could do the job. But if y'all don't want to elect me, that's that's cool, I guess. Yeah, and you know, pe- people sometimes ask me just when they find out what I do. Do you ever want to run for office? And I. I've gotten so annoyed with the question that I start the, – the line I've started dropping is if someone asked me that, I'd just say, are you kidding me? Have you seen my search history? And they usually just <laughs> shut up and like look, give me that look like I can't tell if you're serious or not. And they oh, just yeah. stop talking. Like I could um, never run for office because I have so many friends with so much dirt on me and that would be needed oh, to be yeah. paid off. There's no way. There's no way. Yeah. I mean do you know how much weed I smoked in college? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've never done anything really offensive but – if a tabloid ever went to certain friends of mine, oh my god, they would they oh, would make yeah. millionaires out of you. my friends. Jesus Christ. I uh, feel you. Okay. Uh, last question. If heaven exists, what do you like what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? It's a great question. I was thinking about it. Honestly, I just I just want him to to say like, "Hey, you know, you did a good job. I'm no saint, but I, I try to live my life as a kind person. And, you know, just I, I try to do the right thing. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's clear. And a lot of times it's not. So I just kind of want to be like, hey, you, you did good, kid. You know, you're, you weren't the worst. You weren't the best. You did fine. 
That's that's what I would like to hear God say. Dude, what if what if you went to heaven and God was like the biggest hippy dippy stoner you ever met? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You walk in, hey man, uh I rolled this up. You want to hit? <laughs> that is something I would love to see God say. Oh, uh, man, yeah. come on, man. Like, you you can't tell me all loving being wouldn't smoke. Like, he totally would. Like, he'd be – I'm sure he'd be like, yo, man, I mean, I put it on earth for a reason, bro. You should have probably been hitting Right. And like, I mean, see, you made the point earlier about bacon. I feel like the same thing applies to, like, drugs, right? Like, why would – why would why would God make plants that get you high if you weren't supposed to use them? <laughs> All right, man. I think that'll do it. Is there anything, any parting words of wisdom or anything like that? No, man. I I've really enjoyed this. Thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. And, oh, uh, no problem. I, let's 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 talk again soon, and uh, and uh, let's keep keeping in touch. Absolutely, man. All right, guys. That's gonna do it for us. I hope everybody enjoyed this. All right, man. I love you. I'll talk to you later. All right. All right. Have a good one, man. All right. Bye.